0: I've got a story, I've got a story, I, I, I've got a story. I, I, I've got a story.
1: of the latest LGBT+, plus trends, TV, and the ever-expanding world of drag. Hello there, I'm the Velvet Snatch, and welcome to Season 2 of Girl. This week, we're here with our stage manager, Zaddy, Bad Wear Days, Michael. Hi. <laughs> our resident critic, the fabulous Lady
2: D. Good evening.
1: And she's no stranger to the stage or... Being on a ship with lots of seamen, <laughs> and winner of some award that I'm sure she'll <laughs> tell you about. It's
0: downtown Abbey Scott. It was the Greg's Marketing Challenge. <laughs> While we're here so in really this impressed. in this
1: singular moment, would you like to tell us more about the Greg's
0: Marketing Challenge, Scott? Oh well, basically we won because we were the best. So hashtag Team Newcastle University. <laughs> And star of stage and
1: screen, H.I. the activist and playwright that survived the Edinburgh Fringe. You'll probably know him from LGBT sensation It's a Sin. It's Nathaniel Hall. Hello, Nathaniel.
3: Hello. Do you know? Everyone said hello really deep, and then I was like, really. Everyone's like, (laughs) and I was like,
1: hi, you're
3: right. (laughs) I was really suddenly self-conscious of my own slightly cut voice, which is fine. I see. You know, I'm I'm embracing it. (laughs) So, how the
1: devil are you? How's lockdown treating you?
3: Oh, you know, it's fine. You get up, you do some work. You eat some food, you go to bed to get up, and do some work again, and repeat. It's been, you know what? Actually, it's fine. I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm very privileged. Um, I live with my parents at the minute, so um, I don't pay any rent. So that's always, a, that's always a bonus. Oh,
1: are they helping with uh, the meal situation? Or?
3: They did tonight, actually. They're, I'm a vegetarian, and they're not. And they had a vegetarian chili, and they were like, "Do you want some one?" I was like, "I'm in." But normally, <laughs> no. What's great, actually, is that like, you know, I moved back just before lockdown, and and my mum's not like sounds really horrible. My mum's not motherly. She's not like, she's not like, I'll cook you all your meals and do all your cleaning. It's like, you no, know, you can move back in, but you need to look after yourself. You know, you're know, 34, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, And actually, in fact, she's like, can you cook for me and do my cleaning? <laughs> That's it. It sounds
1: good, because obviously a lot of people are very scared about the idea of moving back in with their parents after having tasted freedom
3: yeah exactly but no it's been fine it's fine it's great this is I'm, I'm in my old teenage bedroom um at the age of 34 not where i thought i would be but hey <laughs> the world's a very strange place at the minute isn't it so yeah, there's a
4: panny D I'm on panny d on at the moment it, i wouldn't worry too much about it it's all good no exactly panny exactly P- panny
1: d is a new drag
4: name for someone out there
1: yeah absolutely
3: definitely. and vaccine peak there we go. <laughs> Actually, I thought my new—I thought of a new drug name yesterday, which was Miss Ravisham, which I thought uh, she's an old, dis- dishevelled hoe.
1: That's gotta be taken. That's so good. <laughs>
3: That's a great name, isn't it? Right, yeah. a great name. I was like, if I did drag Miss Ravisham. do you know what? If anyone's listening, you want my name? It's yours because um, you know I'm probably not going to say it. So I put it out on Twitter, so I've not copyrighted it.
0: Well, I thought of a really good one from Michael in order to sell his merch lines, and um, that was Selma merch. <laughs>
4: Tell my merch, I still think
3: that's a phenomenal drag queen name though. That's great. My boyfriend also wants to create a drag queen called Lumberjackie. Um, <laughs> then, there's a look already it is,
1: insinuated
3: yeah well, so, well, she, she's a butch lesbian and all she wears is plaid sorted. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah and basically he he always wears plaid so it's basically he just turns up as him and says i'm lumberjacky right We're just,
0: it um, sounds very much like velvet she just turns <laughs> up and,
1: and there we go. never invited just rolls in <laughs> so nathaniel oh. what might people know you from
3: what might people know me from oh so yes they might know me as donald bassett uh from the hit channel Four tv drama it's a sin you know a few people have been talking about it i don't know like um you know it's making waves a few people have tweeted about it you know what i mean like a few people in america have tweeted you know but hey yeah that's that's what people probably mostly know me for but they might also know me for my play first time um which is a show all about Uh, My experiences growing up living with HIV when I was diagnosed when I was 16 for my first time, hence the title. I mean, not very creative, but it does what it says on the tin. Um, And yeah, so people might know me from that, or they might have read the play text of that as well. Or they might have seen me on Lorraine. I mean, I've been all over the place (laughs) recently. I've been on Lorraine, Sky News, BBC Breakfast, Channel 5 News. I mean, like, honestly, somewhat, one of my friends texted me and was like, you are literally everywhere. Can you just slow down, please? (laughs) Blowing up. (laughs)
1: but it's great isn't it it's because i think the thing that a lot of people nowadays struggle with is the having an idea and being able to promote it so it's good that you're grabbing the bull by the horns with Mm -hmm. that
3: always always grab the horny bull
1: (laughs) (laughs) i i wanted to ask like you know obviously doing a one-man show like how do you do that like how do you because a lot of people have you know have ideas for shows and stuff how do you get traction with
3: something like that gosh it's a long process i mean i know so i i was diagnosed in 2003 so for context the year before Young younger just won pop idol so you know like i i lived i actually lived i was really young when i was diagnosed i lived for 15 years in mm. in, in silence i didn't tell my family for 15 years i only told i had uh, two long-term relationships in that time they knew and any casual partners you know sort of knew on a need-to-know basis and that was it and i just lived in secret and i had this Big mental breakdown in 2017 and that was when i sort of realized it's something needed to change and, and I, I make theatre and then that's what i do and i was like well i just gave myself the challenge of going well let's tell your own story but yeah it's it's a it's a long long process like you have to dive really really deep into yourself Um, I did so much work so much writing just just reams and reams and reams of writing and you sort of have to wade through 95% of that which is basically crap (laughs) to get to the 5% that's really really good it's like the cream that you take off the top but yeah it's it was a challenge because I'd never written I'm not a writer Mm. well I am now but I wasn't then (laughs) so you know I I started doing that writing process I run a theatre company called Dibby Theatre so my good friend Chris Hoyle who's the co-artist director was like and he's a writer he's like I'll help you on that journey and I worked with a of other artists, um, some performance artists um, to kind of, and, and with a designer to start to build a visual for the show, and then and then it was about getting it commissioned, and that was that was the thing that was really the role. It got the, the got the ball rolling. Mm. So getting the backing of a theatre who gave me a bit of cash because let's face it that's what we need in order to survive and make work in the arts. Um, and then that meant I could get a little bit more cash from the arts council and that really got the ball rolling. And then, yeah, so that's sort of the journey to making it. It's, um, it's, it's a wild ride. Honestly. So it
1: sounds like very much that you need to have a fully formed product before you then try and go, hey, can I get funding for this? Like, you know, that you need (laughs) to have it designed, you need to have it fully written and sort of tested before anyone would go, hey, yeah, have some cash.
3: It's like, yeah, it's like, it's chicken and egg. It's like, I'm in the process of like writing a new show or I've not started writing it yet, but the ideas are forming in my head. And yeah, you've got to get people on side, like, you know, if people are investing money in you they want to know like about the idea and you kind of go in well I still don't know what the idea is (laughs) I ain't written written it but it's about yeah what we do in the in the arts and theatre particularly is you create you know you create a pitch so you think you know for me what I do is I think really carefully about what the piece I want it's a look and feel and sound what's the soundtrack going to be like what you know what what is its audience who's it going to appeal to and then also things like what's its social and political and cultural context because I think that's really important because if a, a venue is going to program your piece of work they're going to want it to say something so so you know with my story particularly and there's lots of work about you know there's lots of plays about HIV and there's films about HIV and obviously we've just had it's a sin but they're all historical they're all about the 1980s and mm. 90s yeah. and I didn't see and this is maybe probably why I lived you know in secret for so long and with so much shame, it's because I didn't see people like me. So I went, I want to see people like me on stage telling my story, and that's and that was a real good hook for for people to go, yeah, that's actually that's really interesting.
4: Um, you mentioned there that you lived for 15 years, was it, before telling anyone that you were diagnosed with it? What was the that obviously a must have took a, a huge mental toll on yourself for that long, knowing that and not telling anyone about it. But what was the biggest change that you felt after you kind of opened up and let people into your life more
3: yeah oh wow You know, we do this really british thing don't we where we think not talking about something is dealing with it and we're just like oh i'll just put that in a little yeah. box and i'll put it on that shelf and i'll never look at it again and let it get dusty and actually it's that's yeah. just the, that is literally the worst approach to dealing with trauma um it was really tricky for me because I came out at 16 or when my mum told me I was gay at 16 which made that conversation easier and we had that conversation about you know STIs and about HIV and you know uh, you know using protection and, and she she knew that I was seeing this guy who was older than me and and mm. it was sort of it was sort of just a little bit too late that conversation you know that I'd already you know I'd I don't done okay. it and so so that for me it was all interlinked with that the shame of like feeling like i'd let my family down and you know hiv and and nasta as well can make you feel you know dirty or shameful in any in in some way and i guess it was also linked to gay shame as well so growing up in the 90s you know being bullied constantly through school no no positive queer role models i mean none none The, the first time i saw someone uh lay you know with with the word gay attached to it was when we watched a video in PSHE and it was it was wildly out of date and it was a gay guy who was dying from AIDS and it was basically like oh that's that thing you know you are inside well that's your future so it was there was so much shame so much shame and I I lived for 15 years as what I thought was a proud gay man like I was out and proud like loud and proud and you know particularly towards it towards I think we moved towards 2017 you know Sex, drugs, partying, the lot. Like the queer lifestyle, we think everyone, every queer person is leading. And I thought I was leading my best queer life, but actually I was using those things to mask pain. Mm. And so when I came, so actually I realised that I needed to break the silence. And when I did, it just, something magical happened because it started to release, you know, that trauma. And it stopped me from relying on those other things that were, uh, that I was using as a crutch to 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 cope with the trauma and 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 you know look at me now you know like i I talk about it openly I've chatted to Lorraine and Charlie and Naga I've trended higher than Jennifer Aniston's bangs on BuzzFeed talking about it (laughs) so you know so it's opened doors that I could never imagine and and it's it's brought me closer to my family to my parents to my friends so it's been yeah I, I it's so transformational you can't I can't even put it into words how different life is now than it was back in 2017.
2: But I think though what you're now doing is exactly kind of what you're saying you didn't have when you were growing up and needed to see those positive role models who can speak so authentically and honestly and openly about this subject matter and kind of show that life doesn't end in that way that that we've had maybe told to us or the undertone of or the kind of sense of. Have you had any moments where you've kind of had that You've almost seen yourself when you were younger reflected in, in people who've come up and spoken to you. I mean, not at the moment because we're in lockdown and two meters, social distance, and all that jazz, but kind of <laughs> uh, pre all of this. And kind of when you were touring, did you see that in terms of there were people in the audience who you thought that I, I wish that could have been me kind of 20 years ago or what?
3: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And those moments are the are sort of the most magical. Then you know, you look, we talk, you know, I joke about you know, the. the chatting with Lorraine and all these amazing things and it's wonderful and it's great and it's you know and it's very flattering but actually it's those moments where there is somebody who I go gosh that was that's me you know that's I'm, I'm not going to say that's me 18 years ago gosh that makes me I'm really old but it is you know that's me at 16 and they are watching this and it's what I needed to see we did a really amazing show actually um, the show sort of like a studio scale piece so it goes to sort of like 100 150 seat spaces but we did one in rochdale um at a really small venue um because uh, a mate of mine like works there, and she's like you have to come and do the show here and we, we arrived and it was like there was not even a proper lighting <laughs> rig or anything. But we, we made it work we made it happen um and in it on the front row there was a group of young people sort of age 14 15 um and they were really vulnerable young people as well they'd come with their like youth support worker and we had a post show discussion and they just asked like all the questions that that you need to ask at that age Mm -hmm. and it's not this you know we talk about sex ed in in school and of course hopefully with um, you know, relationship and sex education it's going to get better in schools but also like your teacher's probably not the best person to have those conversations with so actually to have someone who's just performed in front of you and and told them their story in their life to then just be able to ask really open questions was amazing and they, and, and I know, cause I got feedback through my friend that they went away and they had like even more conversations with their support worker, with their youth worker about, you know, about STIs, but also about the joyful side of sex as well, you know, and like, cause sex education is so, full of fear like it's just like coach car isn't it it's like you will get chlamydia and die and that's it <laughs> yeah, that that's will happen get, that's yeah. a certain <laughs> <point>. <laughs> and that's it or for you know and for girls it's like you will get pregnant and that's it you know your life is over and no one at any point in our child in our younger years in our formative years says do you know what when you get older there's this amazing thing and actually it's probably one of the best things about being human and you're going to have an amazing time when you discover it and like this is we're not talking about pizza
1: here <laughs> <laughs> not
3: pe- okay pizza's, right, cool. pizza's second on the list <laughs> but we don't talk to our young people we don't talk to our young people about sex joyfully you know and i think that's for me being sex positive and talking openly like mm. i was doing things at 14 I don't know how much I can say on this on this podcast I don't know what your audience is Uh, but uh, (laughs) you can say
1: anything you want we've had Jasmine Rice on last week
3: (laughs) okay great great well let's go for it then so (laughs) I was I was head boy at my school and I was, I was living up to that reputation, let's put it that way. Um, oh, okay. with, the deputy, <laughs> with the deputy head boy.
1: I was going to say whether you were top boy, but then, yeah, let's stay with head yeah. boy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Not quite at that point. So, so, yeah, you know, I was 14, 15, of course, experimenting. So this idea that if you talk to young people about sex, they're, they, they're all of a sudden going to go out and do it. I'm like, well, they're already out there doing it. So oh. let's, do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, so that was an amazing moment. And I do get, you know, message, particularly after I've done shows, I get lots and lots of messages. Or if my story has been shared, you know, or is on, you know, I'm on my radio one or whatever, and I've told my story, get people reaching out, and that's always really humbling to know that that me sharing is is helping someone in some way.
2: Yeah, I mean, we both, me and Scott, had the opportunity to come and see the show when it was in Newcastle through Curious Arts, and, mm. and kind of, yeah, I don't really. I think the bit that still sticks with me is given how much of a a challenge it's been in your own life and the trauma associated with that, actually how therapeutic an environment you create for the people who are watching and for the audience and actually the safe space you created for for everyone there that evening. Like, I've not seen that done in a piece of theatre so sensitively to date. Not that I'm a huge, like, theatre buff, but... Like, I went back to my workplace and said, everybody, the next time this show is in town, like, you need to go and see this. Just have the experience.
3: <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, and that was really important. That was one of the things when we were making it and going through that process. It was like, it was like I've seen lots of solo shows and lots of solo shows often when someone wants to tell their story, there's, there's some traumatic element to it. And I've seen lots of artists where I I felt uncomfortable because I'm like, you're not quite ready to talk about this thing. And you're on stage and you're very vulnerable. And then it makes me feel vulnerable. We know that like if you make your if like if you vulnerability on stage is great, but you need to know and understand it. And so actually it was really I'm so pleased you said that because it was so important to me that that we went on this journey, which was a difficult it's a difficult journey. You know, and it's not, you know, the the show's my story, but at at one point, you know, I I reflect and we all reflect that it's not just my story. It's, you know, 38 million people are living with HIV around the world's story and 35 million people who've suddenly died's story. So, you know, there's this moment where we zoom out of focusing on me. And and that's hard. That's hard to go through. But it's important, you know, it's important to have those moments of reflection. Um, And so I wanted to make sure that that was done In a really, like you say a really safe space. I just want, I'm, I'm just, I just want everyone to be. I'm that girl. I'm going back to Mean Girls again. All my references are always Mean Girls. I'm that girl, you know. She's like, I just want to rainbows and sparkles and cupcakes. That's me, literally. (laughs) That is me. I just want everyone. Yeah, I just want Yeah, she does. I don't even go here. Um, I just want everyone to be happy, and I want to be, but also uh, with my art, I want to be able to go to difficult places. You want to feel, don't you, when you go to the theatre? That's what it's for, or watch a film. Like, you want to laugh, you want to cry, and then you want to, like, come out and go, yeah, I want to give my best mate or my mum a phone call and tell them I love him. That's, that's. It makes you feel alive, and that's what, you know, that's what I hope the show does for people.
1: Yeah. and it's educational as well like it's this sounds horrible but we're in a good place for HIV at the moment with the fact that we have access to new things like PrEP and we have like unlike the 80s we have drug treatments for people who are positive that uh, don't make your life hell from the majority of people i understand
3: absolutely yeah yeah absolutely and it was really important when i was making the show those were all very new things then they're less so now so the show premiered in 2018 so we're sort of we're coming up by the end of this year we're coming up to three years away since it was first shown prep wasn't um, wasn't the prep trial was in place and for those that don't know prep is pre-exposure prophylaxis and it's a dr- similar drugs to what i take but you take it preemptively so if you're having sex without condoms for whatever reason that's your choice that's absolutely fine but it, it's really effective it's it's nine, up to 98 percent effective at stopping you contracting hiv so it's incredible and it's now freely available on the nhs which is great when we were writing the show it wasn't so anyone that you know is is having unprotected sex Go, go and speak to your you know sexual health nurse or your GP and speak talk about PrEP because it's amazing. And PrEP is going to be one of the things that helps us stop all new transmissions of HIV. Because the goal is to end in the UK is to end it by 2030, to end all new transmissions. Mm-hmm. And PrEP is one of the things that's going to help us do that. And yeah, and the other thing that was really important for me to get in to the show was about U equals U. I'm on I'm on treatment. I can't pass on the virus. It is a hundred percent proven in, uh, scientifically proven, um, that people with an undetectable viral load, um, which is what the medication does, it re- reduces the viral load to undetectable levels, um, cannot transmit it. Uh, I still I, I, still have HIV in my body, but it's at such low levels that it will never transmit to somebody else. And that, I mean, that news was coming out in around 2016. Um, and you think, for me as a person who from 16 years old, my whole adult life had lived with the weight of thinking that I potentially could pass this thing on Mm. to somebody else and never wanting that to happen, that sexual anxiety, to have that just all lifted. Like, I can't even put into words what that feels like now. And to be able to, of course, you know, there are other STIs out there as well. So, you know, and I got the full shopping list at 16. I didn't just get HIV. I'm telling you, Oh, it was a long, it was a long old list. Um, oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, it was important to me, and also it's. But it's it's really tricky when you're making you're making a piece of theatre. You don't want it to sound like a lecture, yeah. and you know. And I don't want to ever. I also don't want to lecture people and go like and shame people about the sex that they're having, or you know. I, those of you that've seen the show, you know, it's warts and all. Like I don't put myself particularly in any you know good or bad light. Like you know, I, I've lived. I've lived a gay life. I've I've done lots of stuff shall we say <laughs> um, and um and and there's no there's no shame in that like that's the whole point of the show is to to go this is me like you know what's and on. I
1: just wanted to talk about like, you know, how great it is that, you know, like you say, you can't, you know, your viral load is so low now that you can't pass it on and that the stigma is slowly sort of going away now that people are getting more educated. So it's great seeing a lot of um, couples where one One person is positive and the other is negative and realizing that that's that will work. Like, you know, I think there's just a lot of stigma attached to HIV and there still is to an extent now. A friend of mine who's got HIV, he gets and I don't think people that don't have it realize how dodgy it can be at times where you still get people I don't know, offering their opinion. Like, so he's on like the dating apps and stuff, and people will see his status listed on there and they'll just give him a piece of their mind. And you're just like, what the, what the hell? I'm always
3: like, I'm like, thank you for the unsolicited feedback. No one asked for. Do you know what I mean? Like, who do you think you are? (laughs) Um, So (laughs) it's, it's, yeah, there is, there is, you know, and we know within our own community as well, there is still work to be done on that. Um, You know, the, it's, I do understand to an extent the U equals U message is new, it's new science, and it's going to take, you know, particularly people who lived through the 80s and 90s, potentially, who lost partners to HIV and AIDS, it's going to take a long time to, for people to get their heads around that. You know, it, for me, so so my first relationship um, was with someone who was HIV negative, and so we used condoms all the time, and he remained HIV negative throughout that relationship. My second relationship was with somebody who was HIV positive. Uh, that was a revelation for me. And I was just like, oh wow, this is what it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was like, okay, this is great. Um, and I was like, now I now I understand why people don't want to use condoms. Um uh and then and then that ended, and 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 now I'm in a new relationship. I found love in lockdown. How sweet is that? Um, and um uh he's HIV negative but he'd seen my show um and then and then he messaged me on Instagram and we got chatting and stuff um but what was really lovely because all all throughout my adult life the emphasis had been on me disclosing so I mean you don't I mean legally I have to say this legally Mm if you don't disclose and you pass it on someone could prosecute you in the UK which is atrocious but anyway that's by the by Mm -hmm. you don't you don't have to tell someone like if you're using a condom or protection and, but all the, all the weight of responsibility is put on the person with HIV Hmm. to go, I've got this thing. We need to take precautions. What do you want to do? Do you want to, are you on prep? Are we using condoms? You know, all that. And what was so nice about my new boyfriend, Sean is he'd seen my show and he just went before we, you know, we went on a couple of dates and then he just dropped into conversation. He's like, I'm on prep. Hmm. And this, this weight lifted off my shoulders where it was like, it's not just my responsibility like it's everyone's responsibility yeah. and him taking control of his own sexual health was really it was really attractive it was really sexy it was like you know i mean it, it, clinically now he now you know we're in a monogamous relationship he doesn't need to take prep anymore but he still does because he's like i don't want you to always have the responsibility on your shoulders that it's this thing so it, it's really this like, and that's why I like you equals you. And I've got an, a new project that's called Inequal Parts because it's about how these drugs have now sort of leveled the playing field a little bit mm. um, in terms of responsibility. Mm. But, you know, I always say this. If you zero sort, which means if, if someone tells you you're HIV positive and then you go, I'm not going to sleep with you because you're HIV positive, you're actually putting yourself more at risk because two thirds of new in, new transmissions come from people who don't know they've got HIV so so having sex with me i'm the safest person you could be having sex with do you know what i mean like just don't tell my boyfriend Um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's but it's true you know it's it's people with h living with hiv are not the people that passing it on hiv often people miss it gets misdiagnosed or missed because people aren't testing regularly mm. so there's the window where people live with HIV for quite a long time and it doesn't really have any symptoms it's symptomless so <clears throat> so that's when people tend to unknowingly mm. pass it on so it's so it's, it's really important to get tested you know choose whether you're going to use condoms or prep or not that's fine but like if you're having sex it's about getting tested so that you know yeah I think um, when you were saying before
4: about there's uh, a drive to eradicate HIV by 2030, I think with the, the advent of not only the preventative drugs that lower the viral load to such levels that it's undetectable, but with the whole concept of PrEP and the wider reach and rollout of that, especially on NHS as well, mm. it's, it's, I, I didn't know that they had like a set date, like we wanna, this is our aim, this is our goal, I didn't know that, but that's an amazing feat to, to aim for, especially, and I think with the advent of U equals U and prep, and just more more confident people like yourself, who can turn around and openly hmm. speak about such a it's a very sensitive subject, like you said you grew up in the 90s, I think most of us here did grow uh, I as I was a family. child, I was yeah. was more child. Oh,
0: okay. for
4: me yeah, it's we more could, like the yeah. 1890s we we did, did, you go done, into that. well, and, and Velvet <laughs> was turning 106 in the 90s but myself <laughs> and Scott We were also also growing up in the 90s. That's basically coming off the back of the 80s and then you had all of that stigma and you've grown up with that. And that, let's be honest, internalized homophobia of the general British attitude of put it in a box, leave it on a shelf, close the door and leave the house for a week. It took you a while to come around to it. But when you did, you've come out and you've been such a, a vocal advocate for saying how you feel about it. And I think it's really inspirational. I think if there was more people like that, especially when we
3: were younger it would have made such a huge difference yeah you've got seeing yourself reflected back is really important seeing people like you on tv film in books and in music is really important the thing to say actually at the moment is so that yeah that target is there the uk is on it's a it's lots of countries have committed to that but the uk is probably the only country that is is on target for that. It looks like the UK is going to reach that and uh, there's a lot of hard work being done by a lot of amazing activists and uh, campaigners and, and charities to make that happen. But what we should say is that there is a disparity because around 50% of people live with HIV in the UK are gay men or just slightly less than that and uh, so 50% are heterosexual and a third of the whole population of people with HIV are women and there is still lots of issues in other communities um, in, in late diagnosis, um, they, they think there's roughly, I think it's around um, 6,000 to 20,000 people currently living with HIV who don't know they've got it. So mm-hmm. there's so there is people out there, and, and currently the current systems for testing, sort of they get they fall through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And, and within the gay community uh, or the men who have sex with men community, um, I think there is more open talk about it, and access to PrEP is easier, uptake of PrEP is higher. So we're seeing we're seeing transmission rates absolutely plummet in the gay community whilst mm-hmm. you know in in the heterosexual population they're not coming down as fast but the work is being done now to try and tackle that as well obviously in the
0: beginning in the 80s it was the the gay plague the gay cancer it was all of this a lot obviously a lot of the onus was put on homosexual men do you still think there's the the air of um not ignorance but i can't get it in the heterosexual community or Do you
3: think that will change? Mm, Yeah. When you said in the beginning, I was like, wow, here we go. I thought it was (laughs) (laughs) the genesis. (laughs) In
1: the beginning.
3: Yeah. yeah, Yes, I I think so. You know, uh, HIV disproportionately affects men who have sex with men in the Western world. Um, You know, it it spread very, very quickly. I'm I'm currently reading uh, How to Survive a Plague. Which, as a, as a uh, somebody who's lived with HIV for 18 years, an activist, so I've not read it yet, is is a bit <laughs> atrocious. But it's an amazing, amazing book about sort of the fight back against HIV and AIDS. Um, but yes, he did. HIV did spread very, very rapidly through through the the gay community, and that was partly because it it arrived at a time when the when gay men all of a sudden had freedom to live oh. <laughs> more openly. You know, deep uh, homosexual, homosexuality, homosexuality criminalized you know the idea of sort of the gay pride movement the stonewall riots all that was happening that movement was happening and 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 then this this virus came and, and you know gay men not all gay men but some gay men choose to live a non-monogamous life and have multiple partners and that's absolutely fine lots of heterosexual people do as well you know like um it, it's just not, maybe not as they don't live it as openly um so yeah and and i think it's like sort of what like what is said in it's a sin, it's like the perfect virus came along to prove people's homophobia. Like they weaponized it against gay men when actually a virus just doesn't care. and um, and and you know it, it 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 can you it can affect anyone. Um, and there are the, like I say, over fifty percent of people who live with HIV in the UK are heterosexual. I do think people still think that it only affects gay men. Um, I think particularly straight men. Sometimes think that they can't get it because they think it's the rece- only the receptive partner that can get it, but you can contract it um, through heterosexual sex as the man. Um, and uh, yeah, so for me, it's about like again, uh, I've done my show, and I'm sort of like I'm like you, and I'm I'm sort of like the archetypal story of HIV in a sense. You know, white cisgendered gay man, like. We, yeah. Yay. Yeah, we've all seen that story now. So I'm now working on like, what, what other stories can I tell? So I'm working with loads of I'm working with three other people. We're making short films about their stories. Um a black British woman, um, a, a guy who's um, an ex-, in, uh, ex injecting drug user, heterosexual guy, um, to sort of just try and start break that down and go to people to other people. If you have an unpotential sex, you're at risk. As simple yeah. as that.
2: And I was going to, you've alluded to it, and I, ju- I just want to highlight it because I think it's really important in terms of religious communities and the instances of this. And again, because of traditional education around sex and kind of, uh, and and that's still a huge issue from some of the stuff I do in my day job, that the kind of ignorance within religious communities. And that's not any particular religion, but but across the board, really, mm. uh, because of the, the ethics and moral values around sex and sex education. I mean, there is still a huge amount of ignorance and, and lack of uh, and so definitely, I think, as we kind of, that's great to see in, in hear you describe, the, those moves we're seeing amongst the kind of gay community or, or men who have sex with men. But kind of that next barrier or frontier in, in my head is, is some of those more religious communities for, who, like, I think back to my church when I was 15, and we were doing a home group series on various different issues around healing. And one of the examples was, what would you do if someone with HIV walked into your church and I mean again I think it was like a seven. Throw throw holy water <laughs> at them. <laughs> yeah. Well well one lady said, Well, I would make sure they didn't sit next to me. Because <sighs> I wouldn't want to catch it. And oh, and she said, sweet. and you would just be able to tell anyway. And I said, How would you be able to tell? Like what 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 evidence have you got that would be able to t-? like I said, you seriously need to go away and educate yourself because if you think that you would be able to, I said, for all we know, there are people in our church who are HIV positive, and worship and share on the same, like, pure as you, like, you have no idea what people's statuses are. Because when have we talked about this in church? When have we acknowledged or embraced this subject? So don't, don't come at me as if you are a world expert on this, because the ignorance you are displaying is just so huge. But I think, there needs to be that authentic, honest conversation amongst religious communities as well that grapples with this. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, yeah. I joked in the last podcast about my Catholic education, but it has a lot to answer for in terms of some of the ignorance mm-hmm. still that exists around this subject. And uh, majorly kind of is going to contribute to that figure or target of 2030 not being reached because mm-hmm. we'll, it doesn't affect us. It's not in our world.
1: Yeah, I think uh, people think that they're Absolutely. immune to it, don't they? Like they kinda of go, Oh well that's a gay disease. I don't need to I can't be at risk. Well of that. yeah, and
2: yeah. it does happen in a, in a monogamous marriage, you know, because nobody's ever had sex outside of that and all that <laughs> shit. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> sounds like exactly,
3: has, but exactly, yeah. yeah. It's exactly that, exactly that. And we do, you know, I work at George House Trust here, in Manchester, I do lots of oh, uh, voluntary work and meet lots of people and get to hear their stories and you know, there are there are women whose whose met whose husbands have been unfaithful and they've contracted HIV that way, you know. Um and uh, or, you know, there's women who have been in controlling relationships and have, you know, and have not had any say and whether they, you know, can take, use the pill or use, you know, use people are like, well, couldn't you just use a condom? And it's like, well, in some situations, no, some people can't because they've been maybe forced to not. And um, so it's, it's really complex. I actually made a video um, for the Progressive Christian Network because I grew up a Christian. Um, not Catholic but Christian um, and my mum is still a practising Christian and I am it's online You, can, if you I think if you go to Pro- Progressive Christian Network there's a film of me interviewing my mum about me coming out as HIV positive um, and and what that means for her as a
2: Christian woman Yeah I'm not Catholic anymore either I have to confess, like I just have to put that caveat I've called myself a recovering <laughs> Catholic but I'm not Catholic
3: <laughs> I love that you said I have to confess which is like, <laughs> like yeah. the Catholic yeah. Church Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah, got kicked sure. out by a priest, but for for many different reasons we will go there. But... <laughs> Not that you were too old. Um... That's another day. That's another whole <laughs> that's podcast that's... that we don't even need to. So I guess Sorry, next sure week, David. Sure there,
4: was, David. Sure there was a law just passed about their responsibilities of priests and things like
0: that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh
1: gosh. <laughs> so now we've talked about the Catholic Church already, so that moves us nicely onto our next topic, which is of course, it's a sin. Have we all been watching that?
4: Yes, I yes. fully phenomenally loved the whole
3: thing. It was an amazing show, and I really enjoyed it. It was so good. I loved it. I thought for a minute everyone was just going to go, "No, no one's seen it." <laughs> 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 like, great, brilliant. I'll give you a synopsis. I've got the scripts here. I'll read it for. <laughs>
1: Admittedly, I I am the only person here who hasn't watched it yet. Not because I haven't had the opportunity, but just simply because. I don't want to watch that on my own. I'm currently in lockdown, yeah. living alone, and I and I did a I did a performance for Northern Pride last year and I did it about the AIDS crisis and how much it set back the, you know, the gay cause. And I found that very difficult because it's such a powerful emotional thing. And I'm just like, I don't want to watch this show, which people have warned me will make me cry (laughs) on my own. So I'm waiting for do it. But don't worry about spoilers. Don't
3: worry about. Well, I kind of know how it ends because, you know, the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) People kept asking me that when we were filming it. They we're like, how like what happens? Like, how does it end? And I'm like, well, I can't r I was like <laughs> The nineties happened <laughs> I was like, I can't read really, because I'm signed on a disclosure agreement, but I'm like, I can give you a kind of idea. <laughs> like, <laughs>
4: it was it was the most um, heart wrenching thing I'd watched in a while, actually. Like like normally I'm very like stone like stone faced and nothing really gets to me. But watching um a few of the episodes, especially when not to give away spoilers, but I'm going to give away spoilers. Sorry about it. Okay. Um, When, when people start to die off and, or when they start to get diagnosed, it's, it's, and you see, uh, their emotion and the way that, in the way that they're feeling and things like that, and like, and the way that they react to it as well, or how they came about to contract HIV. You're just like, Oh, fucking hell. And you just don't, you hadn't even thought about that kind of thing or, their personal circumstances were just so uh, like touching yeah it was a lot it was a lot
2: pretty <laughs> yeah. really
4: good but a lot
2: and I think one of the things we thought originally was that you were only going to be able to watch one episode a week like as, as it is on good old fashioned TV but then when we realised the full series was available there was that kind of desire you wanted to get to the end as quickly as possible because you kind of wanted to know what the outcome was although you had a sense of what the outcome was going to be but then actually you you. It's not the kind of binge worthy sit. Like, you can't sit and watch all five, w- or if anybody can, like, they need to tell me their secrets to be in so emotionally stunted. But, like, <laughs> there was no way you could watch all five episodes oh, back yeah. to back. You had to have, like, we had to then watch something a little bit more lighthearted straight after to kind of just oh, let us breathe and kind of take space from it. But yeah, because it's just such a, a powerful, um, but yeah, but I think echoes a lot of what you said earlier Nathaniel. in terms of paints the picture of of how it was in the 80s Mm. but but doesn't necessarily draw us to that reality of today either but i think it made me extremely grateful that i grew up as a a gay man now you know i live my life as a gay man now not in the 80s not with that same worry or concern or kind of um yeah it's just a a very different experience but i think so Mm. important for us to watch to understand what others have had to go through so that we can have the freedoms and experiences we can have today to an extent.
3: Yeah. It is, it's like, it's remarkable that within the first episode, um, I mean, you know, it's only five episodes long. It's a mini series within the first episode, one of the characters that you've already come to know and love is being, is being put into a metal box. You know, it's, very stark at the end and i think what russell very cleverly did um, because because also it's full of loads of joy as well and like life and love and laughter as a as a piece isn't it and and that's amazing because you know lots of people and friends of mine who lived through that time said yeah you know what people asked me if it was heavy and he was like yeah in my 30s i went to way too many funerals but i still went out partying and i still had a life and loves and did stupid things you know and so i think that that but what that really clearly showed, you know, 1981, um, and uh, as uh, you know, HIV/AIDS appeared in, in in New York and San Francisco, and then very very quickly started to appear in London, and then and then and then spread across the world, um, or the Western world from the Western story, because obviously the um, sub-Saharan African story of AIDS and HIV is slightly different. But um, yeah, like just how how quickly and in uh, this sort of this the spectre of this thing just seeps into people's lives you know and how quickly all of a sudden very very healthy young men were gone you know just very very quickly so i think it it does have that uh um there's no getting around like how difficult that is to deal with you know on tv and i think for i think for for gay men particularly we don't we don't we don't get that much of our lives reflected on screen so I think a lot of gay men whether you live through it or not found it really really emotional because you know we we might watch a a drama with a, a heterosexual couple and or about you know I don't know someone dying a heterosexual couple and someone's dying from cancer for instance and we still feel emotion towards it but it's not the same as seeing gay lovers or or two men going through that thing so to see it and then, you know, like me sat with my boyfriend watching it, you know, it's, it's 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 it really hit me is like that we don't see this stuff either. And I think that's what made it so like have such an emotional punch, particularly for for a lot of gay men anyway.
0: Hmm.
3: I, I think for for me uh, watching it um there was
0: uh, different people throughout that i related to or i instantly cared about and one of those people has to be colin and simply because he, when i saw him i turned to david and i said i worry about him the most and then to see his story slowly progress um i i couldn't watch past episode three for about two days i mm. have to like totally separate myself but I think that's as well is because there was um a lack of education out there because he was obviously very naive um, and 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 I, I instantly felt connected to him because i felt like i was quite naive when i was very young uh, as much as uh, i'm from like council state and felt like i was quite street smart when it came to gay things i felt like i was massively uh, naive about that and when i was watching it, i thought there's so many things that were so simple that could have been done to prevent that storyline happening and that broke my heart (laughs) Mm,
3: yeah yeah it it is it's that thing isn't it of i think we we have to look at people will ask me you know what do i think about the the current you know viral pandemic that we're all living through and, and comparatively to HIV and AIDS. And it's hard to compare the two because we're in completely different times, you know, like at the age of information, we can we can spread information very, very quickly these days. And obviously that means a lot of misinformation can be spread as well. But you you know, what I think what you see and it's a sin is like people trying desperately to get the information to people and some people not believing them or you know going and why would you you know why like you've just all of a sudden got your gay liberation and then there's these people telling you like put a rubber on it don't have sex there's this thing that's going to kill you it's like you're not going to believe it like and so i i think that's what it's in really cleverly shows and that you know how how rapidly this thing spread, particularly through the gay community and how devastating it was, um, uh, that that it just, like it, you know, the Colin Morris Jones of the world, you know, and if I was born 16 years earlier, that's that would have been me. That's, that's the long and the short of it. That was my, Colin Morris Jones was my story, although, you know, I, I, I didn't move to London, but, um, you know, I just went to the glamorous Stockport, but, um, <laughs> Which is where I'm from. So I didn't really go that far. Um, But, you know, I, yeah, after watching it, I felt very heavy and realised that that was probably survivor's guilt that I was feeling because I realised how many men, young men and women, you know, obviously, but we're talking from the gay angle here, that just, you know, that, that weren't as lucky as I were. Well, that's it uh, i think
1: survivor's guilt is a big thing that i don't think enough people talk about where you had people that went through because because obviously like one of the things that still shocks me is like we lost figures like sort of uh, freddie mercury and like kenny everett and stuff where and and it's this idea of how how did they die and you know like other people survived and so there is that survivor's guilt of why me but
3: yeah I'm always really aware that when I tell my story that I don't it, it doesn't come across as moralistic like oh it was my first time like you know like where was me like um and that I somehow then are inadvertently slut-shaving somebody who you know has had multiple partners and has contracted HIV or is not but you know if yeah. you like you say it it just shows you how the look of the draw you know um, there are some people who sleep with a thousand people and don't contract HIV and there are people like me who sleep with one person and contract HIV and everything in between Um, it's a virus it just it has no there's no moral judgment attached to it that's what humans place on it.
1: I I think it helps very much with the uh... You know, that you need to be prepared regardless because you can catch it on your first time, you might not catch it at all. So it's best to be prepared for the eventuality and to be educated about this thing that might happen.
2: I was gonna ask, how did you get how did it come about for you in terms of your kind of own acting professional journey? Like how how did the opportunity arise? How did you get involved?
3: well so I, I i made my show first time and um it premiered in 2018 in, in manchester um and uh i i knew on the grapevine in the in the in the arts world i knew that russell t davis was writing this new thing it was called boys back then but i'd sort of heard like you know that, that this was happening um and then um a friend a guy who knows Russell, an actor who's actually in the show, David Gregan Jones, um, he uh, he came to see my show and he texted Russell and was like, you've got to come and see this. You have to come and see it. Like, you have to, you have to. And he couldn't, bless him. He, 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 was, he was, uh, uh, was too busy. So we decided to take my show to Edinburgh I was like, oh, I need I need Russell to see the show. I need him to see it. But also as well, like I was interested in what he wanted to say about HIV and AIDS as, as a HIV activist. You know what his take was. Um, so I I, I messaged him on Instagram, <laughs> which is so unprofessional. <laughs> I do not condone this behavior. Are you but listening I to just, this, Stu? <laughs> <You're listening. laughs> just I down. just me- I just messaged him and just was like, look, I've made this show. I know you're writing this thing. Um, maybe we could have a chat. And he, I expecting no reply, and he literally replied straight away, and he was like, "Let's go for a coffee." I was like, "Whoa, oh, wow. okay." <laughs> so then I was sat, I found myself sat, you know, in a, in a coffee shop on Cross Street in Manchester, opposite Russell T Davis. And we, he was so giving and lovely with his time, and he is genuinely one of the loveliest men. I've ever met. He um, and we talked about my story. We he talked about you know the stories he wanted to tell. Some of the obviously he was keeping cards close to his chest because it <laughs> doesn't reveal his storylines. um But um about his the research he was doing because lots of the, the I mean the the character of Jill is based on a real woman actually. The, the woman who plays Jill's
2: mom is the real Jill. Yeah, there you go. A little bit of uh, insider <laughs> Yeah. I in love well, with like, when I found that out, I found that out whilst watching this series. And yeah. in that moment, I was like, I don't know how that, that lady can sit here and play that part yeah. when she lived that life and experienced yeah. those things and went on that. Like that that was just like, if you could kind of get a medal for that, if you could get an award, if you could be recognised. that like. And I think that in terms of kind of just building on what you're, you're talking about, that's again what Itterson has been so exciting for me is seeing that it's people who have had those experiences who are activists who've been on that journey who are then playing the parts as well and that that real authentic kind of lived experience coming through yeah, is just sure. really helpful yeah yeah
3: i should say i did still have to audition like i didn't just get the part off, off a coffee and, <laughs> in cafe nero um, but uh, i did we did the show again in manchester before we went to edinburgh um and phil collinson who's the producer um came to see that and then my my uh, my director like knows Phil and like was like you've got to chat to him in the bar afterwards and I was like I'm petrified but anyway we had a chat and he was like I, he just he's like I just loved your show I just adored it and he was like we definitely want to see if we can find a part that you can audition for so I did I was invited to audition for Gregory um, and for Donald and um, if you'd noticed. Donald Bassett is not a very mancunian sounding name. He was actually supposed to be Scottish. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they decided to give the Scottish guy the, the Gregory part. Uh, and I think it worked out really well in the end. Um, so, yeah, so I did a, I did a self-tape audition and I was in Edinburgh. It was a day, the day I got a five-star review from the stage and then about an hour later after that, I got a phone call from my agent to say I got in It's a Sin. Mm-hmm. And I was just like great, I'm done. Literally, you could I could walk in front of a bus and I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and that was it. And yeah, and then it was my first major telly role, so it was a big, steep learning curve for me. I'm a theatre actor. Um, but, yeah, I thought we really enjoyed the whole experience. I mean, could we just take a moment to talk about
1: Russell T Davies, uh, Davies and, like, what he's done for the queer community in terms of, like, television and whatnot? Like, it's, you know, he's been like this trailblazer for like queer tv like he introduces everything he works on he introduces believable gay characters and that's all we've wanted we haven't wanted stereotypes we haven't wanted like over the top kind of things it's he's been wonderful Mm.
3: yeah do you know you know when he when queerest folk was on and there was there was outrage in manchester's gay community there was there was meetings there was meetings held and he was invited he went along to a meeting he said uh, lots of angry people um that, that the characters in Queerest folk didn't represent them you know and and and, the, and their, their lives and stuff and <laughs> it was all jokes. he said he asked one man he said well, well what do you do at the weekend then and he went well i like to read books and he was like well that'd make a great drama <laughs> he was obviously he was being a bit antagonistic but you know he has and i think it's unapologetic obviously there is such a this you know there's so many more versions of queer life that we haven't yet seen on on screen and i you know and russell has made leaps and bounds getting getting these things commissioned is so so hard it took nearly five years to get it succinct commissioned um well every, every channel turned it down you know and 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 there's also this sort of thing oh well we've had the great the gay drama so we don't need another one like and it, what it's the sin has proven is that it really doesn't matter because at the at the end of the day whether it's gay straight you know lesbian queer trans our, our stories are universal we all we all laugh we all love you know we all we all have hopes and dreams and fears and and love and loss so so what that is proven i think and i hope that tv commissioners is have pricked up a little bit and gone oh actually no we can be bolder and program these things um because there's appetite for it and there's appetite beyond the lgbt community you know uh, 18.9 million people have have streamed it on all four which is the highest ever streamed program bloody on, yeah. yeah binge watch program Um that's not including the the live figures um mm-hmm. And it's being shown. It's on four, currently of four of the seven continents. You can watch me simulate having a wank at the minute, which is great. <laughs> the pinnacle of an acting career, <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
4: I am, um, and um, of- my parents are so proud. Speaking of uh, Russell T. Davies um, and him doing Queer as Folk, I also really enjoyed and realised that he
3: also did uh, Cucumber Banana Tofu. Yeah, which I was in. I did not know that. I, I- was in Cucumber. Yeah. Were you in Cucumber? What, what did you play? In cucumber. I'm, yeah. Uh, uh, you were blinking, you'd miss me, but I had white blonde hair um, and looking like the third goss brother, um, and I was in episode six, I think. character's called Steve. Were you in it when they were in the um, in the warehousey flat thing? No, basically, it was when the the flashback in the episode where there's the big flashback. I'm the first. I was the first guy, uh, the character of Lance, ever had sex with. I was his oh. first partner. Little case is very, honestly, is so small <laughs> you visit Go back and watch it, and you'll be like, oh, there he is. Well, I, um, can we yeah, update
1: I'm... your IMDB to have that exact description of the character <laughs> in place? It's, it's <laughs>
3: the third
4: Gus brother. Yeah.
3: Adam,
4: I didn't realise that he did all three.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, all good and Doctor Who and obviously brought in you know a, a bisexual character into Doctor Who as well and then that had its own spin off so it was also bringing in queer stories into you know into i mean i mean let's be honest sci-fi is the gayest genre anyway <laughs> yeah particularly Doctor particularly Doctor Who it's so camp I'm but happy. you know but yeah i think i think you're right but this it, 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 it it's astonishing isn't it that actually other than russell who you know who else is a prolific writer for british television that makes queer drama you know we've had gentleman jack i think that's an amazing uncovered story and it's based in truth and an amazing uncover of you know history and retelling of history and i love the line at the start of it's a sin um which uh neil patrick harris character says which is like we've always been here like we we've always been here like just the history books just haven't written about us. Like we're just not in the official version. Yeah, And so yeah. I lo- what, that's why what I love about Gentleman Jack because it's like, rewrite it. And I love as well, there's lots of dramatists now, both in theatre and television and film, that are going, well, the records aren't there. So let's just imagine what, what queer life was like. Let's, like, let's have fun yeah. with that. You know, let's just, let's have a play and go, if, you know, if queer people existed, which they obviously did, you know, in these times... How would they behave how did they how did they live and laugh and love and all that and i love that and i think we're we're entering hopefully a new era of uh i seeing more of this stuff on telly
2: the one thing we haven't talked about in it's a sin but but i think has made the big difference as well and daniel our housemate commented this was it's the music like every emotional moment or kind of real tearjerker there's a soundtrack that goes with it and actually think the most powerful is in the last episode when there's silence that kind of mm. really uh, but when there's been and the, the soundtrack that's taken it all the way through just kind of again if you go out on the scene now you hear those songs played and you see people enjoying them but they just connect you to a different time a different place a different circumstance which is uh, again the music of it is so powerful but mm. we know yeah. uh, it's such a powerful tool th- throughout of kind of
3: yeah. All kind yeah. Of I I love that um, every every episode had a play out song. I just thought it was really beautiful, and it related so well to the to so Gloria's episode ending with Gloria. Just you know what a beautiful uh, like episode to that character and and all the men that that character represented, um, and then you know everybody hurts as the last. Um, the last, I mean, I, I watched. I actually watched it since about two weeks before it came out. So I was sent. I was sent the show because uh, I had to do watch it before doing interviews and stuff. Um, and I sat in here and I was quarantined because I'd been exposed to coronavirus. So so I'd got a notification saying you need to quarantine. So I live with my parents and I was like, so okay, I'm basically in my bedroom for a week. I, every time I went downstairs, I had to wear a face mask and stay, keep my distance from my parents. And I watched I watched it so sit up here and literally I honestly like sobbed my heart out and then went downstairs to tell my mum about it. And I was like, I, I can't even hug you. I was like, oh, what is it? What even is this year? 2021, 2020, get in the <laughs> bin. Um, and then yeah and then i watched it again on the, on the on the friday when it first came out watched all of them with my boyfriend and the same just those moments i love actually that the, that that chance after the episode when that song just plays out in full to just give you that moment To cry or let it out or you know whatever you need to get out of your system because we live in such a fast-paced world particularly with media you know you finish one and you're just clicking over to the next thing and it was really nice that that the the
2: team gave that put those at the end and gave you that moment Mm -hmm. absolutely and i thought that stew isn't here tonight but normally does a game and this is quite a nice link in actually because uh, every week we get one of our guests with one of our hosts to kind of take part in a game Uh, And this week, Stu has prepared it but is unable to be here. Uh, So the wonderful Velvet, who's normally scorekeeper, is going to facilitate (laughs) the game. Um, There is a great prize up for grabs, but I'll let Velvet kind of lead us (laughs) into this section.
1: Yes, of course, every week we've got our uh, game where you can win a prestigious Stu Peter badge.
4: Would you like to show one off, Michael? if, If my potato camera can put it across, but it's in the style of a rupita badge. Oof. But it says Girl Podcast and it is I can only imagine of higher quality. <laughs> <laughs> shots are fired if you if you come if you win you get the big you get the big
3: golden almost chocolate colored one and if you saw the big golden what (laughs) (laughs) i was waiting for the golden chocolate colored one badge 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 badge
4: badge. Uh, and if you come second you get a a smaller silver one as a consolation i held the spoon while someone else was cooking (laughs) right prize (laughs) <laughs> that's it okay so
1: this week our game is called curtains up and it's musical theater related so what we'll have uh, nathaniel is we'll have you versus one of our girl team which this week will be the wonderful scott who's this will be your third attempt to win
3: a gold
0: really? stupid <laughs> <I laughs> about did that both times though i've been so close like, <laughs>
3: well, <wow. are> you? <laughs> What? I'll be kind, I'll be kind.
0: I, I'm actually
1: quite enjoying that, basically, since Stu has sent me... Because we don't get to see the questions or his notes. Because he sent me his notes, he actually does a tiebreaker every week. But all, we've, we've all been to too crap to ever need the tiebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> it's that extra bit of work that we've never fully appreciated. So, Am I, am I keeping score, Miss Velveteen? Yes, if you could keep score, Michael. And do I your best impression score. of me at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, girl. One, um. <laughs> okay, so all of the questions are referring to stage musicals, not films. Okay, so question one for you, Nathaniel. What musical is the song Shadowland from? Lion King. Oh, correct, correct. Scott, the song I Think I'm Going to Like It Here is from which musical? Annie. Correct, well done. Question two for you, Nathaniel. The Rum Tum Tugger. It is a song from a musical, but which one? Cats.
3: Correct. And also, sorry, I have to just jump in here and say that that the the car crash that is the film version of Cats, I just <laughs> think is phenomenal. And honestly, I, I just think like it is one of the worst pieces of film ever made, and I absolutely <laughs> adore it. It's atrocious and camp and wonderful all at once. Is, is it on oh, that oh, pinnacle oh. of the room? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Exactly. Even get me started. I did animation. I did
4: uh, degree level animation, 3D animation. Every oh, don't even so, like over a, a huge portion of my friends went out to London and they, some of them worked on that, and oh my God, it was traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I just That's love wonderful.
1: the idea of like the, <laughs> the test audiences just being like, honey, what what's this?
3: What, what's this? <laughs> At what point? At what point? You know, like as an actor, you're like, I your agent going, "Get me out of this!" Yeah, like, like get, get me out! Like, I am out. But obviously, I'll pay them not to participate. Yeah, I, I adore it. I've watched it about three or four times. Honestly, get drunk and watch Cats. It's, I mean, least yeah, it's brilliant.
1: Okay, uh, moving on. Question two for you, Scott. The music of the night is from which musical? Phantom of the Opera. Correct. I've just written Phantom, but that's cuz I'm lazy. Ah. Uh, Nathaniel, the song 21 Guns is from Oh gosh,
3: Oh, oh 21 Guns. Um <laughs> Is it like the Green Day musical? I don't know. I will accept that. Is it is from American Idiot the Green American Day Idiot. Yes. yes. No way. <laughs> That's from well the recesses of my mind back in the nineties and noughties. Green Day. My brother listening to Green Day paid off. <laughs> Holy crap.
1: Scott, what musical is the song "Popular" from? Oh, wicked.
3: <laughs> okay, there we go. Again,
1: not getting that. I, I think you get excommunicated if you don't get that one. <laughs> My questions have been easy
0: this week. Mine are not
1: easy. <laughs> I like Stu's uh, sympathetic maybe. Okay. Question four Nathaniel. Do you hear the people sing
3: is from? Uh do, 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 do. I know exactly. song and Les Miserables. Correct. Correct. <laughs> I just really doubted myself. I knew straight away. But uh, yeah, there we go. And I'm
1: so glad that you said it because I don't know how to pronounce the name of that musical without sounding Les like an, an idiot. Les
3: Miserables.
0: Les, Is it Les Miserables? It's from that Les Mis musical. Les Mis. Les Mis. <laughs> I, when I was living in London, uh, I was in Soho uh, having a few drinks with a friend and um, This woman comes up to us and she was looking for the theatre and like you very rarely bump into another Geordie when you're in London and when you do, you really appreciate it. But this woman came up to us and she was like, hey, excuse me, do you know where Les Miserables is? (laughs) (laughs) I love. Uh, What a
2: waste of good (laughs) (laughs) theatre.
1: I'm sure she enjoyed and fully she had a lovely time. (laughs) Hey, Scott. Whatever happened to Saturday Night is from. Now I there is a film version of this and yeah. it has a different title in the film, I believe. Um.
0: I, I, yeah, I know. I know this one. It's going to be nice because I think I know it as well. It, they did it in Glee, didn't they? <laughs> they?
1: I I can't accept that, but you know, but they, no, I no, think I they, know they did. Yeah.
0: I, I know they did. It in Glee. Every song's been in Glee. Yeah. I think I'm gonna have to fold, but I'll guess. I'll do the guess. Mm. Does anyone have the countdown
1: music on their
0: phone? (laughs) We'll we'll just, (laughs) oh, I'm gonna kick myself. Uh, We'll just go for Newsies. (laughs) (laughs) It's from the Rocky Horror Show.
3: Meatloaf, man. Meatloaf song. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, I was singing a total different song.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I had Saturday Night at the Movies in my head, which is yeah, yeah, it's, it's not completely whatnot.
1: I know. Also I- known as Hot Patootie. That's the main lyric line from it. But Hot in the musical, yeah. it's called Whatever Happened to Saturday Night.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Nathaniel, your final question. The song Roxy is from? Chicago. Oh. Correct? Or, or Chicago, if you've heard <laughs> it. <North>. Chicago. <laughs> Ch- Chicago. <laughs> That that sounds like you're a, a, a chicken restaurant,
3: <laughs> Chicago. Yeah, if you say the journey accident, accident. does yeah, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> <right>. Chicago. <man. laughs>
1: Chicago. Okay. okay, Scott, to to save some face, the yes. song "Waiting for a
0: Girl Like You" is from. Oh my God, you're kidding me! Waiting for a girl like you. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I thought
0: you had it then. I do. see. I jinxed myself. I literally <laughs> said. These oh, easy. these are easy. Oh. Uh, what, what waiting for a girl like you? Uh, I, I don't know, and I know it's not correct, but I'm just going to say ragtime. I'm afraid not. It is rock of ages. Uh, I'm not really familiar with that one. All
1: I know is it hitting me <laughs> the best shot. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh well, that, that's fair enough. So, at the end of those five questions, Michael, what are the scores?
4: Nathaniel has five. Scott has S- three. No. I feel like Lugandria
0: chancha right now, very attacked.
4: Daniel, <laughs> you, you will be the proud owner
3: of an exclusive girl podcast, total rip-off of a Rupita badge, <laughs> the Stupeater badge. I can't wait to receive it and wear it with pride. Put it on my bag, I've got loads of badges on my bag. Yes, yes, yes perfect. It will be on its way to you
4: eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I like that caveat, just
1: in case. <laughs> when Royal Mail feel like it. Something, something, COVID delay. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, just to drag this out, I'm going to do the tiebreaker just to see if you can save more face, Scott. Okay, so that probably can. The tiebreaker. Okay. To the nearest billion, what is the combined gross revenue of the three highest grossing musicals of all time? That's Lion King, Phantom of the Opera and Mamma Mia.
3: So to the nearest billion. I'm going to go with three billion. OK. Uh, Scott? I see, I was like Jeff Bezos in it. I was like
0: 169. Um, and <laughs> what about if I go, uh, Are
1: you doing that thing where you're looking at my face while making noises to see if what I react? I will go with
0: 56
1: billion.
4: That's a lot. <laughs> I, know, well.
1: I think you've still lost, Scott, because I was kind of like going, oh, Nathaniel's What's still closer. It's
3: 18 billion. 18 uh, billion, so I'm closer. Yes. That's a lot, lot, isn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah. I need to write myself a musical. Eighteen, <laughs> Get on <laughs> it. I've got an idea for, the, for moving on up the M People musical, so just just watch the space. Yeah. I mean, they'll be dancing in the aisles. Can't go wrong with a bit of Heather Small, can you? I
0: think they even have a, a cameo from... Um, face as well from Miranda oh yeah that uh, will sell it what have you done today make
1: me- <laughs> <laughs> oh it's pretty well no thank you very much for taking part in that your badge will be on its way so just summing up with everything uh, have you got anything that you'd like
3: to promote Nathaniel anything I'd like to promote yes I've got loads of things um what do I want to promote um <laughs> my show come and see my show when we can um but actually before that and uh, so the show first time is back on tour in the autumn and, and next spring if miss Rona behaves um but before that what would be really useful the show the, the show has been published it's in a playtext form um and it's available to buy from my website uh, NathanielJHall.co.uk. it's nine pounds 99 and that. Any Every copy bought helps us make the, the, the tour a reality, helps us get closer to making that reality because trying to tour in the age of Miss Rona is not easy. So that's amazing. And it's got loads of also information about HIV in it. And also for anyone that works in theatre or works with young people, there's like workshops and ideas and, and way to use the text um, to educate or to kind of make your own work. So definitely that. Um, I've got a new show that I'm working on called, um, it's, its working title is Toxic. Um, so that's hopefully coming out uh, next year, if, if it all, all goes well. So keep an eye out for that as well. And yeah, uh, who knows what might come next on the telly. Um, uh, my face might, might be popping up in some other things, but I'm not going to reveal just yet. <laughs> Brilliant. And Michael,
4: you wouldn't happen to have anything to promote, would you? The same thing. I plug every single goddamn <laughs> week. Bad wear day for all of your LGBTQ plus apparel. Um, we've also got Elite Drag coming out on the 1st of June with a host of drag queens, drag kings, and drag artists, And uh, that'll be launched on the 1st of June. But yeah, keep an eye out for that.
1: Yep. Yeah. And of course, I have thevelvetsnatch.com that I've put a little website up. I'm very proud of myself with it. And you can watch my silly YouTube series and links to Instagram and all of that stuff. So yes, check out
0: thevelvetsnatch.com. One thing, uh, I have something to promote that I normally don't. <laughs> Okay. Um, so today, I was part of the team that won the Greggs Marketing Challenge. So... You, you haven't, you've
1: never said, Scott, you've, you've kept that very quiet. What's a Greggs, Scott?
0: Yeah, so if you'd like to go to my website, www, I was part of the team that won the Greg's Marketing Challenge.com, you can have a look at my stuff there.
4: Rolls off the tongue. Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Sausage rolls.
3: Sausage
0: rolls. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm...
4: This tickles me. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today, Nathaniel.
3: Oh, thank you for having
1: me. It's been a blast. Yeah, Yeah, no, thanks for weathering these technical issues with us and uh, helping inform us more about uh, HIV awareness and things.
3: (laughs) <laughs> such such a great impact on you all yeah yeah yeah. great and my final message thing to promote if you're sexually active get tested every three to six months um, and you can book a HIV test online there's loads of service across the UK but free testing.hIV is the national one through the Terrence Higgins Trust and you can do it at home in the privacy of your own home uh, don't bury head in the sand because left untreated HIV uh, is not pleasant so um, yeah get yourself tested and get the support you need if you get a positive diagnosis you'll be fine I've lived for 18 years look at me now here we are an incredibly important message
1: amazing thank, you. Definitely. thank, thank you, you so much being on the show and thank you everyone who's been listening to this hope you have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time goodbye goodbye